please open with me in God's Word to 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, 2 Peter 1, where we come to the last sermon in this series that we've I've been going through over the past several weeks on meeting with God in worship. Or as I asked at the beginning, what happens when we gather for worship? But this is the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning. How strong is your faith in Christ? Now, if you were to consider yourself as a spiritual weightlifter, how much weight do you think you could lift by faith? Would you be the kind of person who could your, your soul could handle lifting great amounts of weight in the midst of the struggles and trials and suffering and tribulation of life? Or would you be the kind that may not even be able to lift the bar to get the weight off the ground because your faith is so weak? Well, thankfully, we're not saved because of the strength of our faith. We're saved by Christ's righteousness, which becomes ours through faith. And so this morning, we're not here to, to struggle over the guilt of our own lack of faith or the weakness of our faith. But brothers and sisters, we are here to be encouraged by God's grace, knowing that Christ strengthens our faith, which we all need to persevere as believers in Christ. We are sinners who live in a sin-filled world. But the question is this, how does Christ strengthen our faith? How does our faith increase as we live the Christian life? Well, that's what we read of this morning here in 2 Peter chapter 1. So let's read together 2 Peter 1, verses 2 to 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Mom and sisters, let us receive then this encouragement from God's Word this morning, because it is an encouragement of the grace of Christ that He gives to us for our good and the strengthening and increase of our faith. But before we look more in depth at this passage of Scripture, let us again pray to our great God. O oh, Father, we are indeed a weak and needy people. who, if we're honest, struggle with our faith. But Father, this is why You give us grace. 
And we pray even here this morning that as you speak to us through the preaching of your word, that we will receive a refreshment from Jesus Christ of your grace so that we will live by your grace and we will increase in our Christ-likeness through your grace. Because, Father, we are those who above all seek to praise you and to please you because you have so loved us that you have saved us through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So may you greatly bless then the preaching of your word that your spirit will so empower this message. We will rejoice in Christ and the grace that he so abundantly pours out upon us. And Father, we pray then how we will, 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 what we will learn here this morning about Christ's grace in our worship. We pray then these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, what we see from this passage this morning is that we receive Christ's grace through the worship of his church. We receive Christ's grace through the worship of his church and we learn of this through this passage as we first see God's provision of grace in verse 2 followed by God's power in grace in verse 3 and then finally God's promises by grace in verse 4 so God's provision of grace God's power in grace and God's promises by grace let us then begin by considering in verse 2 God's provision of grace. And here the Apostle Peter is writing this final letter to Christians before his own death. Here he is at the end of his life writing these parting words to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he does so, here we come to these words that are really his opening greeting and prayer, through which he explains to them how we grow by God's grace. You see, we are saved by God's grace, but not only are we saved by His grace, His grace continues to work in us until we become like Christ our Savior. And that's what Paul is seeking to encourage these Christians with at the end of his life, that Christ delivers us from the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin against Him. But Christ also develops us into His image so that we are ready to spend eternity in His presence. So what then is Peter's request to God in this opening prayer? Again, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. He prays that, that, that God will multiply His grace and peace to these believers. Of course, God's grace is His unearned and unmerited favor he freely gives to those he loves. And while they have already received this grace from God when their souls were converted, here Peter prays for God's grace to be increased and multiplied in their lives. And he also prays 
to have not only this grace, but peace multiplied. Yet the order here matters. See, the grace is what brings the peace. Those whom God has given his grace will also experience his peace. So it's God's grace that brings us peace with God. You see then that they have received God's grace and peace through faith in Jesus Christ. But in the Christian life, we come to understand his grace more deeply and to be strengthened by his grace more and more as it is multiplied over the years as we live. So here's the wonderful and beautiful truth this morning. That God doesn't save us and then leave us on our own to strengthen ourselves and our faith in Christ. But God continues to give us grace so that we will persevere in our faith and progress in our Christ-likeness. It is then this grace and peace that we need to continue living, persevering, and progressing in the Christian life. But don't miss something that we can often overlook, especially in our English translations today. The you in grace and peace be multiplied to you here is plural. Which means that Peter isn't merely writing for a private multiplying of grace and peace in your life. But this is a corporate multiplying of grace and peace as well. You could read this as grace and peace be multiplied to all of you. So we shouldn't only think of this grace and peace multiplying to you and to I individually. But this grace and peace is multiplying to us together. As we gather in local churches in worship. And how is this grace and peace multiplied to us? Well, the verse continues, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This grace and peace from God is multiplied to us in our knowledge. It's through what we know and believe that God works in our lives. This truth is why I so often remember the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 12 too, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice how your mind is renewed. It's in your knowledge of God. And of Jesus, our Lord, it is as God's word then reveals God to us that we come to know him. So this knowledge is not merely intellectual. It's not that we know about God. But this knowledge is personal and relational, which means that we know God personally and intimately. But here, once again, we see that our faith is a triune faith because our God is a triune God. So we know in this knowledge, not only of God and we read of Jesus, our Lord, because our one God eternally exists as three persons, God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And so as we know our triune God, God, the Father, and Jesus, our Lord, and his Son, 
through the enlightening of the God, the Holy Spirit, we find we receive God's grace and peace more and more in our lives. So the Christian life is a deepening of our relationship with God and drawing close to Christ because it is through our knowledge of him that we grow in grace. Do you then see this relationship between what we believe and how we live? So brothers and sisters, my prayer for us this morning is may God's grace and peace be multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. But not only do we find here in these verses God's provision of grace, we go on to see in verse 3 God's power in grace. Now, unfortunately, the ESV and the NIV and other modern translations do not translate the first word here in verse 3, but in doing so, it removes the grammatical connection between this verse and the last verse. But here's Peter's connection. What does this knowledge of God that multiplies grace and priests bring into our lives? And as verse 3 says, it's through His divine power. See, God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. So His divine power then works for our good. And there is some debate here about whose divine power is given to us. Does the His, in verse 3, refer to God the Father or to Jesus our Lord? And my answer is yes. Yes. Because we should remember the doctrine of inseparable operations, which teaches us that each person of the Trinity acts inseparably with the others in every act of God himself. Peter's point here is to show us that our triune God, in his divine power, has given to us. But let's stop before we look at what he has given to us to remember that everything we receive is a gift from God. We don't deserve or earn or merit anything in our relationship with God. But God is powerfully at work in our lives. Isn't that wonderful? His divine power is given to us. But pay close attention to the verb there. His divine power has given to us, which means he has already given to us and continues giving to us. These gifts then began when we believed and they continue as we believe. And what does God's power give us? Again, verse 3 all things. Think of that. His power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need for eternal life and everything we need for the transformation of our souls into Christ-likeness is given to us by God through His divine power. 
What an awesome display then of God's power in the abundant gift of Christ's grace. See, God's power is what changes us from death to life and from sinners to godly believers. And this change continues to take place in our lives in the power of God's grace. Our hope is always found in God and God alone. As His grace is given to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this verse, we see both the need for us to live godly in Christ Jesus and our dependence on God's power and grace to live this godly life in Christ Jesus. He gives us everything by his power in his grace for godly living. Do you see then that we can live godly lives through the strength that is supplied by God in his power and grace? What a, an amazing blessing we have from God to regularly receive this refreshment in our souls of His grace. And we see how powerful it is for not only here in Second Peter, but you can turn with me back to Titus chapter 2, which also speaks of the grace of God. So Titus 2, read together verses 11 to 14. Listen to how the Apostle Paul expands on what we've seen from Peter here in these verses. What does the grace of God do in our lives? Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Do you see how it is the grace of God that teaches us to live this way? And it's the power of God that gives us all things needed to live this way by his grace. Going back to 2 Peter once again, in verse 3, we see that this has been and is given to us through the knowledge of God. It's through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. It is then through knowing God that He powerfully gives us all things for godly living. So our knowledge of God is given because he is God and he is the one who has called us. Which means he is the one who took the initiative to enter into relationship with us so that we know him. You see, we did not somehow discover God. We did not somehow develop our knowledge of God. But God is the one who determined to call us into the knowledge of him. And so our salvation is because of his sovereign calling of us in grace. Left to ourselves, 
We're enslaved to our sin because we love our sin far too much in our selfishness to receive God's revealed truth and believe in Christ as Savior. But God has chosen a people to save out of our sin so that we will not suffer under his wrath. It's the good news of the gospel. That in his love for us, he calls us through Jesus Christ to himself as he awakens our, all of us to our sinfulness and he opens our hearts to believe in him and trust in what he has done for us. It's this gospel then that saves because it's this gospel in which we receive grace. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and has exchanged the judgment we deserve in our sinfulness for the acceptance and justification of God in His righteousness. And it's this gospel of grace we continue to not only hear, but to receive and be renewed day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year because our God is one of glory and virtue which here refers to both God's greatness and His goodness. There's no reason in us why we should receive this grace. And there's no reason in us why we should continue to receive this grace. But brothers and sisters, this is our God. And He is glorious and virtuous who has saved us from the guilt of our sin, who is saving us from the power of our sin until that great day when we will finally be saved from the very presence of sin in our lives. So theologians explain this by calling it effectual calling. This, this language of, of, of Peter here is, is that God called us. This is an effectual call because God effectually calls us to Himself when we are reconciled by Christ through faith in Him. So you see, whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, there is a general calling to come to Christ. There is also an effectual calling, which takes place in the hearts of those whom God has chosen to save. And it is those whom God has effectually called that then receive His grace as we believe in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and repent of our sins. So I ask you, have you received this power of God and grace in your life? Has the power of God's grace been at work in your life? Is the power of God's grace at work in your life? Because without His grace, there is no hope. Without God's grace, we remain enslaved to our sins. And without God's grace, we live under the judgment of God and will receive His wrath because we rightly deserve to be condemned for our sin 
in rebellion against God. Oh, if this is you this morning, hear me now. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. It's the one who richly gives grace. It's the one who saves our souls. And the one who loves us so much His grace will be at work in you to become the very person God created you to be. This then we find is God's power in grace. But this finally then brings in verse 4 to God's promises by grace. God's promises by grace. Because our God who called us is glorious and virtuous, we have been given promises in our salvation by His grace. So we read in verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. You see, Christ's grace promises His church a process of purification that results in our purity to become Christ's bride when He returns. So we look forward to the day when we will be a pure bride wedded to Christ, the bridegroom. But do you know what we find in this great promise or in these great promises? That there are no incomplete or failed projects of God's grace. What language is used here in speaking of these promises? These words are stacked up to overwhelm us. These are exceedingly great and precious promises, aren't they? And as Christians, we live by faith in these promises. As we wait for their complete fulfillment at the end of this age. So we live our lives with a future-focused faith. With an expectant hope that secures God's promises. Or that has been secured by God's promises. What then is God's purpose in making these promises to us? Again, verse 4. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, this doesn't mean that we will actually become gods ourselves with our natures somehow being deified or divinized so that we become equal with God himself. This is what false churches and cults believe and, and twist the scriptures to try to uphold. Okay? It's, it's what I grew up with as a Mormon. See, what, God will always be our creator and Lord, and we will always be his creation under his sovereign rule. But, brothers and sisters, let us not deny what is being taught here. Because the sanctifying process of grace which leads us to life and godliness will one day be complete. And we will be godly like God Himself. We will fully reflect His godliness in our very nature. This is the future that awaits for us by the grace of Christ. 
And the Apostle John also expresses this same glorious future in 1 John chapter 3. So you can turn over to the very next book of the Bible, the New Testament, 1 John 3. And see John writing the same thing in verses 2 to 3. Listen to these words from John. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be what? Like him. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is our future hope that is promised by grace. This is what it means then to be partakers of the divine nature. Who is worthy of these things? None of us on our own, but all of us by God's grace. But finally, there is a contrast back in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Because not only do we see what we will be, but we also see what we will have escaped. There at the end of verse 4, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You see, this world that we live in is corrupt which is the tragic consequence of our sin. And because of our sin, we too are corrupt and unable to change or correct what is corrupt in this world. But what we learn and what we see and what we look forward to is that this corrupt world is coming to an end. And so our lusting after it will only lead to death and destruction under God's judgment. And since we lust after this corrupt world, our only hope is escape. Listen then to Peter's encouraging words here, that we will escape this world's corruption. And we will escape because of God's promises, which we receive by His grace. Now remember, this escape is not our removal from the world, but our removal from the world's corruption. So that we will live righteously in a renewed world where God will dwell with us forever. Brothers and sisters, we must also remember that this promised escape has already begun. As God is at work in our lives by His grace. So as we live in this world, we are being weaned from this world so that we are being prepared to receive God's promises in the world to come. This is why Peter then begins this letter with a prayer and then ends this letter with the very same words as an encouragement and an exhortation. So you can turn to the end of 2 Peter chapter 3. 
Look at verse 13. What does Peter say? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise. Same language, right? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's our future promise. But then verses 17 and 18. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. How does this not happen, brothers and sisters? How do we avoid falling from our own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked? Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must grow the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't this what we've seen all along through these verses? Because this is what it means to be partakers of the divine nature. Those who have grown in grace and in our knowledge. So in light of God's promise, we're to grow in the grace and knowledge that He provides which is also our responsibility to receive in faith. So how then does this growing in grace and knowledge take place in our lives? Brothers and sisters, what we find is that this growth and strengthening of our faith comes through the worship of Christ's church. When we worship Him, God blesses us with Christ's grace to strengthen our faith. So once again, there is this already and not tension in these verses. We see that God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, but we are not yet fully partakers of his divine nature. And what brings us from where we are to where we will be when Christ returns at the end of the age the answer is Christ's grace, which strengthens our faith through worshiping Him. Do you see then how we receive Christ's grace through the worship of His church? We receive Christ's grace through the worship of His church. Think of it this way. As our bodies are strengthened through the food we eat, so our souls are strengthened through the grace we receive through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So ask yourself this question. If you are sitting down to eat a delicious meal, what do you need to eat the food and nourish your body? Well, you need some utensils like a fork and a spoon and a knife. These are the instruments then that are used to bring the food from the plate or bowl into your body so that you will be strengthened. Well, think, listen then. God strengthens our souls through the riches of Christ's grace. And he not only provides the grace to nourish our souls, but he also gives us the instruments that we need to receive this grace into our souls so that we too We'll have our souls strengthened. And these instruments 
what we call the ordinary means of grace. How does the grace of Christ enter into our very souls? Through receiving the ordinary means of grace when the church gathers for worship. We often use this phrase, the means of grace, around our church. What do we mean by it? I appreciate how Ryan Davidson gives us a helpful definition in his book, Green Pastures. Listen to how he summarizes or describes these means of grace. He defines them as the instruments Christ ordinarily uses to birth and strengthen the faith of the elect as he is present among them. That's a really helpful definition. Let me say it again. That the means of grace are the instruments Christ ordinarily uses to birth and strengthen the faith of the elect as he is present among them. But not only is this truth taught in Scripture, our confession confession summarizes this biblical teaching in the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Chapter 14, paragraph 1. Listen. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other appointed means of God, it is increased and strengthened. So this is both a biblical and confessional truth that we worship through the ordinary means of grace. You see, God gives us our faith and he increases and strengthens our faith through these means of grace in our worship. And what are the means of grace? It's the preached word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, and the other means that are appointed by God when we gather together in worship. This is why, as the Apostle Paul will give his final words to the pastors or elders of the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, he says to them in verse 32, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what is able to build us up? And give us an inheritance among those who are sanctified? The word of his grace. What is able to build us up is the word of his grace. The ministry of God's word is his means of grace for us to be built up in the faith and for our faith to be strengthened and increased. And we receive these means of grace when we gather in worship as a church. That's why I've mentioned this before. Ligon Duncan famously summarized our worship as reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, praying the Bible, singing the Bible, and seeing the Bible. These are all means of grace to our souls to strengthen our faith in Christ as we live as sinners in the sin-filled world. Do you see then why Christ's church is such a precious gift to us. Because when we gather together in worship, God meets with us to bless us by His grace. 
when we are gathered together here, brothers and sisters, as God's people in worship, He is present with us to bless us with His grace, to strengthen our very souls and our faith in Him. When we gather together to worship, God meets with us to bless us with Christ's grace. Yet the truth is, we can all neglect these means of grace, which are our God-given instruments to increase and strengthen our faith. Because when we don't come to our church's worship services, what does this mean? We're missing out on the time that God gives us to spiritually feast on His ordinary means of grace. Now, of course, there are times when we won't be able to come to church and worship with God's people. And God also blesses us with His grace through the week as well. But this is the time that God has set apart for us to meet with Him when we gather together and receive His grace in His presence. So what does this mean for us as Christians? It means we must prioritize meeting with God in worship. That we must organize our very rhythms of life in our re weekly schedules around the church when we meet with God in worship. So we don't try to fit the worship of God in the rest of our scheduled activities through the week. But we begin with our need for Christ's grace and the means of grace that He provides in worship and then consider and schedule the rest of our lives around this truth and around our need. But not only do we prioritize the worship of Christ's church, we also prepare for this worship. We prepare the night before knowing that the next day we have the divine blessing of receiving Christ's grace. We prepare the morning before we worship as we prepare to receive Christ's grace. We prepare knowing that God will meet with us and bless us with His grace and worship. But not only do we prioritize, not only do we prepare, brothers and sisters, we must protect. Protect this time. Because there is always those things in the world that will seek to pull us from this meeting with God and worship. But what is the tragic result of being pulled away from this time? We will not receive God's grace through the means He has given us in His church. So it's not about me as your pastor. Me as your pastor worried about whether or not you're attending the worship service. This is me as your pastor worried for your soul as you are not receiving the means of grace God has given. Because my soul needs this grace from God and your soul needs this grace from God. Coming to church then is not merely being physically present in this building when we meet. 
but it is how our faith is strengthened by Christ as we grow in His grace and are built up through our knowledge of Him. How, after all, does a weightlifter gain and maintain his strength? Well, it's by regularly going to the gym. And how do we gain and maintain our strength as Christians? The answer is by receiving Christ's grace through regularly gathering with his church in worship. Do you see then why it is so important for us to meet with God in worship so that we will receive a fresh outpouring of the grace of Christ? Brothers and sisters, we have, through this series, learned a great deal about what it means to meet with God in worship. But through this series, we have learned seven truths about our worship of Christ's church. And so if you remember nothing else, I hope you will remember these seven truths. You can keep them in mind. You can write them down in your notes. But please understand how rich of a blessing it is that God gives us this time to meet with Him in worship. Here's the seven truths we've heard in this series. First, that God calls our meeting to enter His presence. Second, that God schedules our meeting on the Lord's Day. Third, that God runs our meeting by His Word. Fourth, that God seeks true worshipers in our meeting with Him. Fifth, that God invites others to then join in our meeting. As worshipers. Six, that God structures our meeting with the gospel. And seventh, that God blesses our meeting through the means of grace. Let's say those one more time. I know that's a lot, but hopefully you can write quickly. First, God calls our meeting to enter his presence. Second, God schedules our meeting on the Lord's Day to worship him. Third, God runs our meeting by His Word. Fourth, God seeks true worshipers in our meeting. Fifth, God invites others to join our meeting. Sixth, God structures our meeting with the gospel. And then finally, seventh, God blesses our meeting through the means of grace. Do you see all that we receive when we meet with God and worship? May we then be those who cherish this time as those who have been saved by the grace of God. So let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the knowledge you have revealed to us through your word of yourself and of Jesus our Lord this morning, may we then have this grace multiplied in our lives so that our strength, so that our faith will be strengthened and increased by your grace. And may we be those who more and more cherish this time 
where we receive these means of grace through Your Word and the ministry of Your Word. May we not fall into neglect of this holy time, but may we rejoice that You are committed to so richly blessing us so that we will look forward to an eternity to enjoy in Your presence forever. Father, may we live each day with this rhythm as a church. So, Father, we pray for all these things in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.